Hey, y'all, and welcome to another episode of It's Brittany B Podcast, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down subjects that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany, and if y'all are ready, let's sit back, relax, and let's chat. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about girl code. Now, girl code is like a set of unwritten commandments of rules or ethics that exist between a girl or a woman and her friends. These rules are usually the make it or break it in the friendships and the laws of girl code. Now, with girl code, there are two groups. The first one is the best friend girl code, and the second one is the universal girl code. Best friend girl code is the girl code we devote to our best friends. And these set of rules are sort of like never date your best friend's ex. That is like one of the top three rules. And I never understood why friends would date their friend's ex. I could never do that because for me, my best friend, whoever she dates, they automatically turn into, I wouldn't say an ugly switch, but it's like a turn off switch. It's almost like a robotic switch because to me, her man ends up turning into like a brother type. Plus, there is no way you would be able to actually keep that friendship if you were to date your best friend's ex. You honestly think your best friend wants to hang around you and your ex being all mushy together? You have to be a special type of crazy for that. The other rule that they have is never share your best friend's secrets. You have to take that to the grave, regardless on whether or not you're friends till death you have sworn an oath to never talk about your best friend's secret. Even if it seems small and insignificant, keep your damn mouth shut. Because after a while, you'll end up forgetting it anyway until you have one of those drunken nights with your friends and then you reminisce on it. But bottom line is you shut your mouth. Another example is you should always check on your best friends when they're on dates. Always have them send a location. I always have my friends send me locations. You never know. We watch too much true crime in order for us to not feel too protective over our friends. You always have to be sure that you protect your friends as much as possible. When they go on dates, you make sure you know where they're at, who this person's with, and what the dude's number is. The other example I also have is you never, ever, 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 ever let a guy get in between you and your best friend. He could be talking to both of you at the same time. You never let him get in the way. No guy is worth losing a friendship. You could be dating a POS and he totally isolates you from your friends because he doesn't like them. Don't let him get in the way. There is a reason for that infamous quote that all of us ladies have heard, sisters before misters. The example I just proven is why we say this. Now those are the main points of the best friend girl code. But what about the universal girl code? What is it? What does it mean? Well, universal girl code is a girl code of women that just have other women's back. You don't have to be friends or family. You could be complete strangers. One big example of universal girl code is rescuing another woman from some weirdo. Us women usually have the knowledge to know when another woman is uncomfortable. It is almost like a telepathic power we have with each other. This is a rule that should be followed no matter what, if you're a girl or not. We all watch true crime. And to not think of five different possible scenarios that may or may not happen to this girl that's getting hit on by this weirdo, I mean, 
I know I can't just leave that girl by herself. I wouldn't have a good conscience about it because I know how I would feel. I would hope another woman would do that for me. And actually, I have been saved a time or two when I have been out at the bar. Some weird guy hits on me and I'm not feeling it and I'm trying to escape. And then boom, here comes a beautiful drunken group of angels coming to save me. I have never met them in my life, but they knew I needed help. They knew that they needed to save me. And it was truly a beautiful thing. When it comes to universal girl code, another universal girl code rule is don't hate girls you don't know. This is a rule that most of us have a hard time following. We all have felt like we were in competition with each other, with another woman who could be our competition. I mean, let's be real. Isn't that why most of us women hate other women that we don't know? There is nothing more annoying than a girl who hates on another girl for no damn reason. It gets even more annoying when you barely know, let alone meet this girl. Don't be that girl. Didn't you hear the rule prior to this? We already have a hard enough time staying away from weirdos and protecting each other. Didn't you hear the rule prior to this? We already have enough of a hard time trying to stay away from weirdos and protecting each other from these weirdos. We do not have time for these meaningless enemies that mean nothing. Now for my last example on universal girl code, I want to be clear that this code goes for both versions of girl code. And this rule is... Be honest when a woman and or your best friend asks how they look and don't you dare lie. Don't you dare lie. You better be honest. If a woman's makeup is not blended well, her clothes are not flattering, her eyebrows are messed up. This is another rule that takes a little bit more longer for most of us to learn because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But honesty is not always flattering. But it is also very flattering. You had the nerve to tell me that something about myself was off, where I have walked past 50 damn people today, and no one told me that my skirt was tucked into my underwear? You are a superhero if you are able to be honest about how your friend or another random woman looks. Not in a malicious way, but more in a, I'm just trying to help. That woman slash friend, May or may not take it well, but at least you were honest. And are there exceptions and limits to girl code? Yeah, I think so. After a while, there's a certain maturity that has to come into play. Like, after a while, if your friend and you were grown and say you and her brother start catching feelings for each other, like, is that okay for you to date her brother? Meh. I mean, maybe it's not such a big deal now since you guys are all adults, but it depends. Talk about it. I don't know. Also, cheating. That one's a slippery slope to approach. And I don't want to go into too much detail because I want to tackle this topic in a different episode. But just know that there are a lot of stipulations there. You can see your best friend's man cheating, but there is a certain strategy to approach that because you can run the risk of losing a friend. There's also a lot more to it. And it takes intricate movements to approach it, but I know I'll get a lot of flack for that. But don't pretend like that's not the truth. But again, for a different day. Real girl code is just about being a good friend. With society already pinning looks in more drama into our lives, it's hard to trust anyone. But girl code allows us to understand that no matter what, there is a sense of comfort knowing that we can stand together no matter what. 
how bad today's world's trying to pin us against each other, that I can have more confidence that I know if a woman sees me uncomfortable, she's more than likely going to help me or check on me. Comfort in this aspect helps the world, still keeps us close. Girl code is peace within women. It's something that is understood and does not always have to be explained. Well, you guys, thank you for sitting with me. And it's been a pleasure talking with you on another episode of It's Brittany B, the show where you and I go on a journey and break down topics that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany. Now, November is here, you guys, and LCC Theater will be presenting the play Everybody by Brandon Jacob Jenkins. This performance will be held at the LCC Black Box Theater on November 16th through the 20th. The tickets are on sale now on LCC's website. And, oh yeah, I'm in it too. I want to say thank you to Dedalian for producing today's show. And don't forget to stay tuned for more episodes. And to stay up to date with the latest episodes, go to lccconnect.org. Get it? Got it? Done. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply prior credits toward their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash youbelong. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, like a date with my wife, or going out together with my family and friends, things that we couldn't afford. Thanks to Vectix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, motorsports, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can help. We can give our veterans a special event where they too can create their own cherished memories. Find out how by visiting www.vettix.org. That's www. V-E-T-T-I-X dot org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates, as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu hope. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A., and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. 
Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. We have a highly regarded performer of early music as our star today. He has toured extensively with the Rose Ensemble. He has been a feature performer with the Minnesota Orchestra, Skylark Opera, Frisco Opera Theater, and Metropolitan Symphony Orchestra. Our star was born in Michigan, moved out of state before he was one, and moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he lived until he was eight. He then moved back to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he lived there through college. He went on to earn a master's in music from Bowling Green State University and a doctorate in music from the University of Minnesota. He has given debut performances of over 100 works, this star has been seen throughout the continental United States in a number of settings, which include opera, concert, and recital, to name a few. His voice has been described by several different newspaper reviewers as a big voice that rumbles like foghorns, is regarded as rich, heartwarming, and possessing considerable agility. This star has many more accolades that I can't pronounce, so I'm going to let him tell you about that himself. Are you ready to find out more about who's today's star? Well, drum roll, please. Today's star is Dr. John Temperance. Welcome, Dr. Timbrink. Thank you for coming on Who's That Star? Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I can't wait to learn more about you. So let's begin. As I was saying in my intro, you have a lot going on, right? Like <laughs> you have a really rich history. So I, I want to make sure that we touch on that. But first, tell me a little bit about why you came to LCC, what, in, what your roles are here. Sure. Uh, so my role here, uh, I'm a full-time faculty in music. Uh, I'm the PFC, program faculty chair in music as well. Part of my role there, depending on the year, so this year is a little bit different, but when I was hired in, I'm teaching some of the music classes, music history, some music theory. I'm conducting the LCC concert choir. I'm giving voice lessons, doing our studio class, and, and kind of overseeing the program uh, as an in general. Wow, uh, that's, that's a lot. That, that's really what brought me here. Uh, add on this year um, and, and last year, the Academic Senate stuff as well. And that winds up being about a third of my workload here is, is dealing with the Academic Senate in addition to the music stuff. In addition to what you're doing. So how many people are in the music department? Oh, that's a complicated question. <laughs> is there a, like, is yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, because we're, we have to look at, you know, it depends on if you ask like CDS to pull data, uh, are they going to pull how many people are declared as a music major? And we've no, got, I mean instructors. Oh, instructors? Yeah, like, uh, so we have myself as, as uh, a full-time, full-timer um, continuing contract, and then we have one other temporary full-time line that was added this past year. 
that we're hoping that can become permanent. Otherwise, we are the only two full-timers in the program right now. We've got wow. about a dozen or so adjuncts. Uh, okay, that us. helps to support the program. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, because you are doing a lot. Right, like, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and, but I mean, you definitely know the ins and out of your program for sure. Oh yeah. How did you get started at LCC? That's another fun, long, complicated question. But <laughs> the the short version is, I I applied in uh, was it January of 2017, I think it was, and then went through the interview process. Uh, I at the time I was teaching at Wingate University uh, in North Carolina. Mm. Um, was there for for just the one year, and then. Got, got the call, did the interviews, got the call, uh, and came back up here, started in fall of, of 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so you were let, you were ready for a big move like that to come from North Carolina to Michigan? I, I, you know, I wasn't settled in North Carolina. It was a, a one-year job that I took while I was there. Uh, I was in a tenure-track position in North Georgia prior to that. We were looking for a homecoming. Um, had, had been away from home for a really long time. Got you. Yeah, because it seems like when I read your bio that I really didn't get to give you due credit for you've traveled a lot of places I sure have and you've went to school in different areas mm -hmm. and then you ended up back here so that's family more yeah. so than because I'm like it seems like you could be a lot of places we we, we have been uh, a lot of places and we enjoy a lot of places yeah we, we traveled around a lot and I, I keep saying we my, my wife and I uh, so my folks are still in Grand Rapids and, and her folks are in Howell oh okay uh, so Lansing is kind of right in between the two exactly. and, and it really is coming back home yeah, so I know it, when I talk about before you got to LCT, because that's so interesting to me, I mentioned to you before that I've really never had any conversation with someone who's been in music like you are, like technically trained and that's teaching in a program. And I'm, I mean, I'm impressed with that because, <laughs> you know, I, I always think that I was going to be the singer. And I can't carry it too. <laughs> and so I'm excited to meet someone and figure out like what drew you to that? What drew you to a career in music? Sure. Uh, and we were having a great conversation about this beforehand that I wish I could remember that answer because it, <laughs> no. it, it felt really spectacular. No. Uh, I, so I started singing at a fairly early age. You know, you know, we always do the I grew up in a religious family. So we're going to church and we're singing in church. And that's kind of how I started exploring the voice a little bit. And then in middle school, started singing in a choir and moved to high school, started singing in a couple more choirs and, and enjoyed the singing thing and uh, was really discovering. I didn't know how to communicate well uh, in those early days. I, mean, I don't know how, how anybody does uh, or if anybody does, but right. I, I certainly didn't. And I didn't have a whole lot of self-awareness at the time. And I certainly had no emotional regulation at the time. And so could use choir, could use singing as an outlet, a way of expression, could use it as a means of exploring emotional contexts um, outside of myself. So it was less personal, but I could still understand it. Mm -hmm discovered that I felt better when I was making music. Mm. Uh, and so I just, I was just drawn to it because it, it, it made me better. Uh, I felt like I was my best self when I was, was singing or when I was engaging in music. So I just, I kind of continued that and kept waiting for someone to say, okay, you need to stop now. And I sort of had that. I, I had an uncle uh, at my sister's wedding years and years and years ago. And uh, he, he grabbed me by the shoulders like, so what are you going to do for a real job, John? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to sing. And, and as we all know how well those conversations go, no, really, what are you going to do for a real right. job? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to sing. No, really. And this, I mean, he, he, he had a real job. We'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, w I kept waiting for someone to, 
who had an authority, someone who was in the industry who could say, look, this isn't really for you. This, this isn't going to work out. Uh, you, you know, you're more likely to get struck by lightning than you are to make a career in music, mm-hmm. uh, which is accurate, by the way. I kept waiting for that. And it never really came. So when I got to college, I was going to be a music major and started studying with you know, my voice instructor. I'd really never taken, I'd, I'd had a couple lessons in high school here or there from some local people, but uh, never steadily and, and never with any real purpose mm-hmm. behind them. So I get to college and start studying voice. Well, my first voice teacher is an opera singer. I mean, he, he sang all over the world. He had representation. He had more roles than we could count, had a huge voice. And he's like, okay, so we do opera. We go to, When you go to the college level, you study opera. Oh, okay. uh, when, when I was um, going through, that was really all that, that happened. If you went to college for music, you went for classical music and you studied opera. Oh, really? Full stop. While Berkeley did exist, it was probably the only real college for commercial music that existed. If you wanted to do commercial music, if you wanted to do popular music, the stuff you're going to hear on the radio, you want to be the next Taylor Swift, you don't go to college for that. Right. Now, other degrees have popped up now that have allowed for learning in higher education in those fields. And um, colleges have finally taken notice of the fact that about 1% of all streaming is classical music, uh, vocal music. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whereas the other 99% is the stuff that you don't go to college for. Exactly. You know, so there is a change that's happening in the industry. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. That's another fun conversation for later. So I, I go to college. I start uh, studying opera because that's just the way it was done. Um, I can't say I was particularly drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had difficult with, hey, suddenly you're singing in German or you're singing in Italian or you're singing in French. And I don't speak those languages. And I'm talking through, you know, the words of 17th and 18th century voices that didn't resonate with me. You know, I liked music because music spoke to my soul and I needed to feel something. Kept waiting for someone to say, no, you need to stop. You need to change direction. Uh, and didn't happen. So I went to grad school and same, same thing. You're going to study opera. So all right, I'll do a couple of operas. And I had my first opera role in grad school singing in the marriage of Figaro uh, and got the same count Alma Viva in the marriage of Figaro, which is, it's a fun story unto itself. So I'm already a giant. Uh, those who aren't in the studio can see that my six and a half foot tall self is already <laughs> huge on the stage. They put me in uh, boots that had, so it's, it's a period opera, uh, boots that had a heel on it. It was like a three inch heel. Oh my. Uh, and then the period wig. And they gave me a top hat on top of that. So suddenly my six and a half foot tall self is like seven foot four. Wow. Um, <laughs> and just huge. Towering over yeah, everybody. Towering over everybody. Uh, and, you know, the Sopranos and the show were five foot nothing and, and just tiny. Um, so that was just a fun stage experience. Anyway, I started doing the opera thing and, and really getting into art song uh, and doing the, the the solo recital thing a couple of times. And again, I was like, this is kind of fun. And I kind of want to teach music. I, I was learning at that point uh, that I, I enjoyed helping others on their journey as well, mm-hmm. um, which is what I love about teaching. So, okay, if you want to teach, you've got to have a doctorate. So go to University of Minnesota and, and started my doctorate. Kept waiting again at some point for someone to say, this isn't right for you. You're not supposed to do this. It's too competitive a field. You right. shouldn't. You know, those things that in hindsight all are absolutely true and probably should have precluded me from continuing the path as I was um, because you are more likely to be struck by lightning uh, than you are to have a performance career, mm-hmm. uh, a successful performance career or a big performance career that you can you can live off of. It is highly competitive in higher education to get a full-time job period, even more so when you're specialized like in in, in music uh, in higher education. So when my instructors are saying, you know, well, back in my day, was, if you got your doctorate, then you got your job and then you're good to go. And right. it, was, it was a given. If you got your doctorate, you got your full-time job and you were good to go. And that's just not the case anymore. 
So I, anyway, I started with the doctorate, uh, spent the first two years. Um, at that point, I started performing quite a bit, and I got my first full-time teaching gig. Uh, I was teaching at a small college in, in the west side of Minnesota. So I kind of took a year off from my studies, did that, came back, completed my coursework at the University of Minnesota. And at that time, I was teaching adjunct at a couple of local colleges, finishing the coursework, touring the country, and trying to write the dissertation slash really uh, a doctoral thesis is what I had to write. Wow. And that took a couple of years. Uh, and at the, so finishing that document um, through the smoking computer fiasco that happened, um, <laughs> it, it didn't light on fire, but it smoked and it died. Wow. Uh, with my document on it, lost about a page worth of, or a, a day's worth of work on it. Um, Ooh. Yeah, terrifying. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> but, but we got through it, performing throughout all this, uh, and then finally completed in 2014. Uh, I finished, uh, or 2013, I, I finished and, and graduated, defended. 2014, I got my first tenure track position down in Georgia. Cool. Um, spent a couple of years there, moved to, to North Carolina for a year, and then the call to come to LCC, and, and they kind of come home. So. Wow, yeah, you have a, a rich history of kind of doing things that you were waiting for somebody to say no. Yeah. And it, no one ever said no. Yeah. So you must have a good voice. I, I do okay. I do yeah, okay. You won't say it. I, <laughs> I would be interested. Like, have you ever did a record? Made a record? Okay, so I'm on uh, several records, but I have never made my own. Okay. Because yeah. I also saw, like, in your bio that you got nominated for a Grammy. I did, yeah. For What's the, that about? Uh, so this was with uh, Exultate, was the, the performance group uh, based out of Minnesota, based out of Minneapolis. Uh, and they did uh, Mozart's Grand Mass, and it was that disc that recording that was nominated for the grammy i just happened to be one one of the cogs uh, in the hey world. that's still you I'll were a cog it. at the right place at the right time that's right <laughs> and that's wonderful i just i know um i learned about music our program from you when you came because you were so gung-ho <laughs> you wanted people to know oh yeah about the music program and i think that you really did some cool stuff in regards to how you can integrate music mm -hmm. into different fields mm -hmm. and how you can leverage that degree into mm -hmm. different areas and things like that so could you talk about like when you came to lcc and you looked not showing throwing shade on anybody <laughs> i'm not trying to do that but like what were some of the things that you saw when you came here that sure. you were like, this could make this program really good? Uh, okay, so first response uh, was when I got here was abject terror. Uh, when I, I looked and saw my numbers and I saw how many people were involved in the program, actively participating, that's kind of a, a callback to, to one of the earlier questions is how many people in the program? Mm. Hard to quantify, but the number of active participants at the time, I think I had 11 wow. in that first semester, which just is not enough for a program to run. So I was slightly terrified that the program was going to be cut before I could even approach continuing contract status. Right. Um, so f step, first steps were we get we got to build the program. And for me, a big part of that was connecting to campus resources and, and making sure people know that we exist. And there was a lot of people, as I encountered uh, at on campus, that didn't know we had a music program. Mm -hmm. uh, so building awareness, making sure people do understand, yep, music exists here. Cool. So there's number one. Two, how can you get involved? Because anybody can get involved. Right. It doesn't matter if you're a, an active student, if you're a community member, if you're a staff member, I don't care. There's an opportunity for everybody to get involved and to make music. And it's really important for me because on a personal note, music helped me discover who I am. Mm -hmm. And music helped me express who I am and music helped me come to terms with who I am. And so it, it was a very personal journey that, that music helped me through. But on, on a greater level, as we've looked into the research, 
music, not just for music's sake and music, not just for the sake of expression, but music to set you up for success in life mm-hmm. winds up being a pretty good bet. And even here on campus, when we look at the data that our, our own CDS has collected, if you're involved in a performance ensemble here on campus, you are 20% more likely to complete your degree. You are 20% more likely to continue from one semester to the next, and your GPA is going to be significantly higher. And so there's there's the question of correlation causation. Are we just looking at people who are active and engaged students who happen to be involved in music ensembles? That may be a possibility. But looking at some of the other studies that have been done, looking at brain development and mm-hmm. chem- biochemistry and what happens when you make music, and we see permanent changes to the brain and the way it works, dealing with memory, dealing with concentration, uh, dealing with cross-hemisphere connections, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with density of, of gray matter, dealing with focus uh, and, and creativity. And we, and we see biological changes that occur when you make music. And this doesn't just make you a better musician. This makes you more adept at learning in your math class. This makes you more adept at learning in your English class. And this is going to make you a better student, and it's going to make you a better employee Mm -hmm. uh, in whatever your next stop is going to be. So music, not just for the music major, but music for everybody. And not just because, hey, we like music, but because music will help make you the most effective version of you that there is. That's cool. So that's why I want to get everybody involved if we can. Yeah, no. And I, like I said, I, I knew we had a music program because I'm an advisor, but I never knew all the different ways, like you just explained, but also like just how people could make money out of something that they're interested in and how to utilize like the, the boards, you know, when you're, you're, you're singing, but you, you incorporated that with other programs so that people can, make music, but they can also commercialize it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And and, and for me, the, the make money aspect, and this is easy to, sit, to say from my seat, you know, I've been through, you know, 20 years of a career at this point that I've made some good money off of music. Uh, but the, the idea of you're going to make money from your music, I've used it twice already in this interview, but you're more likely to be struck by lightning than for that to, to take place in, in a meaningful way. That's not why I push music. It's, yeah. it's not so, hey, go get your job. It's because it's going to make you your best version of yourself in whatever way you're going to pursue life. And I think I hear you on that. And I think I agree because I know just listening to music in the morning, like I'm a person that sings and listens in the morning because that gets my day started mm-hmm. out right, right? And I'm going. But when you have that parent that comes mm-hmm. and they have a child that's interested in music. How do you talk to them and that student about realistic expectations, Mm -hmm. but also the benefits of music and how you can incorporate that into other fields? Do you have those conversations? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I'm I'm very upfront uh, in in ways that I, and I do it because I wish someone had the conversation with me. The conversation that I got was, you have to go to college because everyone goes to college. Uh, Music is great. You're going to have a career in music, so go get your music degree. Spend all that money on that music degree. And I never once had someone go, maybe you want to think about the fact that it's not likely you're going to be a full-time performer. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to think about the fact that a position in higher education is, is not a likelihood. It's highly competitive, and you're going to struggle to get there. Most of the time, we got lifelong adjuncts uh, in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you want to think about that before you move forward. Not that it would have necessarily prevented me from taking the path that I did, because I think ultimately I would have anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's just because of pig-headedness or, <laughs> or willful ignorance, I don't know. Uh, but I, I didn't. I never had anybody say, hey, stop and think about this. You might be making mistakes, save for that uncle way back when who, mm-hmm. who said, what are you really going to do for a real job? Um, but he, he didn't know the industry. So I have that conversation with the students. When someone comes in, if they're going to say, hey, I want to do commercial music, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them, 
So you understand this may be your side hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this will this may not be that full time job. I know you want to be the next Beyonce or Taylor Swift or whomever, right? But that's probably not going to happen for you. you you've got to be good, but you've got to be really lucky for that to take place. And we have that conversation. But then we also talk about music adjacent um, jobs mm-hmm. uh, and how can we connect you with something that's adjacent to the music industry. This is why I'm really happy with our three plus one agreement we've got with Fair State and mm-hmm. our music industry degree. So get your music degree here, another year of business classes, and then go to Ferris and you can get your Bachelor of Science in Music and Entertainment Business. Wow. So now we've got all the benefits of, hey, I pursued music, I've explored music, I've, I've grown in music, and I get all those soft skills that are associated with, and hey, biochemical changes that happen in my brain, as well as now hard skills in marketing and management and, uh, and econ and, and all, uh, all that fun stuff that a business is really going to look for to say, hey, look, you've got some skills I can get your foot in the door. So we're looking at music adjacent careers as well, uh, and how else can you plug in? And that's before we start talking music education education, which is huge for us, especially in this state. There's so many openings for music educators in the state. Hmm. Um, so we have opportunity there, which is why I've got a great music ed degree. And then music therapy is a huge up and coming area as well. Yeah. Um, and so we, we want to be able to sequence people into to that as well. Because I'm, I'm a MSW and I, I would be interested in learning how you can incorporate music into therapy and different things like that. And so just to understand music and how it makes you feel, mm-hmm. I think that's always a good skill to put in your tool belt. I think you probably answered this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, like, tell me about why you work at LCC. What is it that keeps you coming to work and so passionate about it? Oh, boy. Uh, passionate about it because I don't know any other way to be about it. Uh, once we start talking music, once we start talking getting others involved in music and allowing them the opportunity to explore themselves in the way that I was able to explore myself via music. If I'm not passionate about that, there's nothing I can be, I can be passionate about in this life, right? So that there, there's my, my driving force. And that's going to be true no matter where I am, whether I'm at LCC or I'm at a four-year university or I'm just working out of my basement. That's an opportunity that can't be missed and shouldn't be missed. So I'm, I'm always going to be preaching that. LCC specifically, you know, I, I came here because it was coming home and it was a good paycheck. It was right, right place, right time. You know, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie about hey, that. Hey, that's uh, true. Right. But started to do some good work here and I feel very supported where I am. Um, I, I know it's not true everywhere on campus, but I've got a good boss. I've got a good boss's boss. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got faith in our administration. I think we're moving in the right direction. Every campus has their ills, certainly, but I have trust in our process and that, that we're moving in the right direction, the right questions are being asked. So if I feel supported and I'm making the money they need to make and I'm allowed to do the things that I, I kind of want to do, that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, that is a good place to be. And I appreciate the, you know, the truthfulness because, you know, sometimes it's opportunity that come to you when you need it and you never know how it's going to end up. And this seems like it's a good fit for you. I know you went to my daughter's school. She's at Everett and the band, Miss Falanchuk. I said, Michaela, are you thinking about doing, you know, in the band or coming to LCC and doing an instrument? I was like, I got to get you to talk to Dr. Timbrick. She's like, I already talked to him. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> she was like, he came to our school and gave us a presentation. So I think that outreach is like really cool to let students know, okay, you can still do something to keep the music that you love or enjoy or learning further at LCC, come on, we got something mm-hmm. for you. And so I thought I was doing something, but you had already beat me <laughs> to the punch. You out there, you know, working it and getting people engaged and, and learning. So I think that's really cool. I got like a million more questions <laughs> and I'm almost running out of time, but I want to know, like, what are some of your hobbies? 
Like, what do you like doing beside music? So I think one of the, the hardest things we have to teach our students when we come to the music program is the fact that music is not a major, it's a lifestyle. Mm. So the, the question of what is the hobby? Well, music is my hobby. Mm. Uh, making music, you know, singing, listening, deconstructing, it's what I do. So I've, I've got my full-time job that's largely still in music. I got a part-time job as I'm director of music at a, a church in Okemos, all music. I still freelance and sing music, you know, so once we start adding those things together, now it's stuff that I love to do, but I also have to be able to, to make some money off of that. So it, it's my job, but it's my hobby. They blend together. Um, the idea of work-life balance is just kind of gone because my work is my life. Right. Um, now, are there other things? Sure. You know, I like to read. I, I'm, I'm a sci-fi nerd. I, I love movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take in all sorts of media. You used to be pretty big into sports and basketball, uh, specifically, not so much with football, but that, that's kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit as music has taken over my life and entirely. Um, so it, it, it's really music, a little bit of reading, a little bit of uh, outdoors, and a lot of sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny, but it's like you don't seem like you have enough time to do anything but music. And nope. it just it seems like it's something that you geek out about. I was going to ask you what you geek out about, but music sounds like that's a, a, a topic that you really geek out about. But I'm going to ask you, two more questions and then I'm, I got to let it go. But I could ask you, because there's so much more that I, <laughs> I want to know. And we talked about how you said, you know, people expect to know about everything because I was like, oh, I should know this. But you made a, a good point about you're not going to know every subject and how ignorance is okay, mm-hmm. if, especially if you're seeking to find out more. And so, like, I could do a part two with you, which I may try to do. Absolutely, let's do but it. But I wanted to know what your next big project is. Yes, I'm glad you asked the question. So next big project, and there's like a thousand other ones that are coming up in the next week or two, but the next big project with the LCC Music Program, specifically looking at our end of the semester concerts. Mm. Uh, so I've got to get a shout out to our jazz band, which is joining with one of our high schools, and I'm blanking on which one right now. That's mortifying. Um, so we're going to do a joint concert with one of our area high schools. Oh, cool. uh, and our rock band is going to the Avenue. Um, so the uh, jazz band is on the 7th, I believe. Uh, rock band's going to be on Sunday, uh, December 11th uh, at the Avenue. And then uh, my ensemble, the LCC Concert Choir, uh, we are joining forces with Oakham's Community Church, uh, and we're building a community orchestra. It's going to be about a 16 or 17-person orchestra wow. uh, that we're putting together. And we're doing Vivaldi's Gloria and Vaughn Williams' Fantasia on Christmas carols. And that is Saturday, December 10th at 7 p.m. at Oakham's Community Church, free to the public. Uh, it's going to be an amazing concert. Um, big choral works with uh, a chamber orchestra. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, so you, on top of all the other stuff that you got going on with teaching, you have all these performances that you have to get ready for. Wow, you you do a lot, John. I, I admire that. I don't know that I have that fortitude to keeps, do that. Keeps me out of trouble. Hey. <laughs> but lastly, I'm going to ask you, what would you like your legacy to be at LCC? Oh, um. <clears throat> okay, so I make the silly sound. Uh, I, I heard a, a quote the other day in, in the car. I was listening to a comic. So this, this is a setup to, a, I can't even remember what the punchline is anymore, but the, the setup struck me so much. Um, and the setup was your, your talent belongs to you. Your reputation belongs to everybody else. Mm. The idea being, and that he went to a silly, I couldn't even tell you what happened afterwards. He went to a silly place. But the, the idea of you can control what you do. You can control how you act. You can control what endeavors you take on. 
what people think about that, you have no control over. Right. There's nothing you can do. So the question of what's the legacy, what do you want to be known for? I don't want to say I don't care, but I kind of don't care because if I'm doing good work, if I believe in what I'm doing, uh-huh. that's all I need. Right. And if someone else goes, that wasn't good enough or he should have been doing that or, uh, you know, it takes, t- takes something and goes, that was really cool. We liked it. Okay. I appreciate the accolades, but I was doing it because it needed to get done. Right. You know, so I want to do the good work. I want to feel good about the work that I'm doing. Uh, I want to make an impact. And if people recognize that, okay, cool. I'll appreciate that. But if not, you recognize it, that you did what you could do. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. Uh, John, I appreciate you coming on Who's That Star. I think we learned a lot about your program and just we learned about you and how passionate you are. And I thank you for that. I thank you for all the music people, the past and the people that are coming, like my daughter, that you are so engaged you know, so would you like to say anything before we leave? No, oh, I'm just happy to be here, happy to, to preach the good word about music and how amazing it can be uh, from personal experience. And I hope others can uh, engage in meaningful ways. And if anybody has any questions about what LCC Music has to offer, you certainly can reach out to me uh, and or the music program. I'd, I'd be happy to talk. I can talk all day about why music is amazing. Hey, for sure. Well, you heard them. If you want to find out more, get in touch with them. And today, that's going to be the end of our show. And I will talk to you soon. Take care. You've been listening to Who's That Star? I'm Lisa A. And you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star? And other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out who's that star. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. November 16th through the 20th, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents Everybody, an adaptation of Jacobs Jenkins' 15th century morality play, Everyman. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. MidMichigan Recovery Services is committed to inspiring hope by providing a safe environment, teaching and modeling healthy lifestyles for all impacted by substance use disorders. We know recovery is possible because we've been serving Lansing area community members since the late 1950s with education and advocacy. We added treatment services in the late 1960s, providing residential treatment, outpatient and intensive outpatient treatment services, and also housing services to community members struggling with substance use disorders. Please let us know what we can do to help you to engage with services or support for substance use disorders. Our phone number is 517-887-0226, or you can go online to mmrsinc.org to find out more information about our services. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect.
voices, vibes, vision. Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I'm happy that you are here. Let's do this. This morning, my daughter was singing a song, VeggieTales theme song, and now that song is stuck in my head. I, I guarantee you've heard of it. Broccoli, celery, gotta be VeggieTales. <clears throat> Lima beans, collard greens, PG Keen, VeggieTales. Cauliflower, sweet and sour, half an hour, VeggieTales. But my kid was singing with cybersecurity words, so it went something like this. Unemployment fraud, malware, gotta be FishyTales. Gas pump scams, empty bank accounts, and more malware, FishyTales. Credit card theft, wire transfers, billions lost, FishyTales. <laughs> well, obviously the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on this show, and I will take advantage of that position. So, welcome to the safety plan. Here's the format. First, I will describe a real-world cyber scam like phishing or malware or the IRS imposter scam or scareware or one of the many, many, many other cyber scams. Second, I will then explain why it could happen to you. And third, how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to the safety plan episodes? First, as a leader, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so that you can hopefully learn and grow and become inspired by it. Second, a community knowledgeable on cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. Third, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your business or company or local community college more secure. Win, win, win. Okay, I'm Paul Schwartz, and I work at Lansing Community College as the Director of Information Security. I coordinate security issues for the college, things like data breach coordination, account compromise investigations, vulnerability scanning of our network, you know, implementing projects to improve the college's security, and training our users on cybersecurity. I've worked in cybersecurity for 27 years, which includes 20 years in the Air Force before ending up at Lansing Community College. I have multiple computer monitors at work. So people think I know stuff, which proves I am smart. S-M-R-T smart. Now, it's time for the cybersecurity roundup. Let's focus on today's topic, sextortion. Lansing Community College employees are regularly cyber attacked using sextortion. Sextortion is a type of fraud where the criminals threaten the release of fake sexual images or false information that the victim in order to coerce them into paying a Bitcoin demand. It usually starts with the criminal sending an email to a victim threatening to send pornographic images and other compromising information to the victim's family, friends, coworkers, or social network contacts unless a Bitcoin ransom is paid. Often the scam email informs victims that their webcams were hacked and used to make recordings of them visiting porn sites. To create the appearance of real danger, the message is filled with details from the victim's life collected from a personal blog or from a social network account. Sometimes it has one of the victim's passwords harvested from a previous data breach. Well, let me explain that a little bit further. So we have, um, you know, numerous data breaches. You probably heard about them in the news over the last you know, few decades, say Home Depot and Target and Yahoo and so forth. Criminals know that users rarely change their passwords. It's called password reuse. And they know also that you reuse your credentials. So that's your username. So typically people use their personal email address as the username for a lot of accounts. And they use that same password at a lot of accounts. So if they breached one of those, they've got a high chance that you use it on all your other accounts to include your email and so forth. 
And so they'll include that username and password in the email in an attempt to establish authenticity. The goal is to make users fear that their computers might have actually been hacked and used to observe and record potentially compromising actions. Let me read uh, you a real-life example of a sextortion email. The sender's account is usually, uh, you know, in this case, it's a free account, you know, you know, such as like a Gmail or Outlook, some account you can get without, with a little effort. Or they, the criminals could be using a compromised account. A compromised account is one the criminals have gained access to and are using it to perpetuate fraud or further phishing. Criminals gain access to email accounts through, you know, phishing or stolen credentials, uh, you know, credentials being the username and passwords, or they could be guessing the username and password, or, you know, as I mentioned earlier, credential reuse, or from malware, what are many, many other techniques to get access to people's email accounts. Also, the criminal might be just pretending that they've compromised your account. And so they can do that by changing and, and falsifying that sender's email address and the display name of it. So both of those can be manipulated to be whatever the criminal wants to use. And so criminals like to make it look like that email is coming from your own account to give it further legitimacy that they've hacked your account. But they're just faking that display name and that email address to make it look like they're already in your email account. Okay, so here's the email. Greetings. I monitored your device on the net for a long time and successfully managed to hack it. It was not difficult for me as I have been in this business for a long time. When you visited a pornography site, I was able to put a virus on your computer. That gave me full access to your device, namely your camera, microphone, phone calls, messages, what happens on your screen, phone book, passwords to all social networks, etc. Okay, I want to talk about this paragraph for a second. The second most common way uh, to deliver malware is through website visits. And what happens is when you go to a website, if it's been compromised or it's you know some random malicious website, there is automatic communication that goes on between your browser and that website server. And this is without your intervention at all. And so if you have vulnerabilities on your computer or it's a malicious site that wants to push malware to you, that automatically starts and downloads that malware onto your computer and then starts scanning for other software vulnerabilities or other weaknesses and, and uh, moving sideways, it's called, looking for you know, further compromising um, you know, channels and, and elevating the privileges and so forth. And this can all happen without your intervention, just by visiting a website, if it's malicious. Here, let's go on to the next sentence of this sextortion email. To hide my virus, I've written a special driver, which is, just means software, which is updated every few hours and makes it impossible to detect. Now, this is um, somewhat of a lie. Um, and software can you know, call back out to the internet if you have an internet connection uh, and update itself without your intervention. Uh, but making it impossible to detect is not possible because um, you could set up you know, Wireshark or some other monitoring software and be able to detect this type of behavior. But most people don't have that. So the, the criminal is just implying that, you know, they have the you know, total control of the situation and you can't stop it and detect it. The next sentence is, that's how I obtained your username, Smith. P and password pencil one. Now those are fake username and passwords. But again, like I mentioned earlier, 
the criminal got those from a data breach and is putting this in their sextortion email in order to make it seem more legit that they've actually compromised your account. And typically this works with a lot of users because they reuse their passwords and don't ever change them. And so um, when the criminal mentions your username and password, it's probable that you're still using it. And that, that makes the victim think, oh, this criminal really has got my information. Here's the next slide. I captured video of your screen and camera and edited a video of you naked in one part of the screen and a pornographic video that you opened at that moment in the other part of the screen. Okay, so I've seen this also a technique where the criminals will say, go to your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook page and take your pictures, say your headshot, and then Photoshop it onto a pornographic image or video. And they would use that uh, as leverage um, and, and, and threaten you to either pay the ransom or or extortion, or they're going to email that to your coworkers and your, your spouse and, and family and your, your grandma. And, and so in order to protect your, re, your reputation of this false claim, you may want to uh, pay the ransom. Uh, again, this is all fake. Uh, the next line is, I can safely send any data from your device to the internet, as well as anyone who is recorded in your contacts, messages, and social networks. I can also give anyone access to your social networks, emails, and messengers. Uh, so this is uh, somewhat true and false. Uh, if they've infiltrated your computer, yes, they have access to the data on it, uh, potentially. And um, But... Uh, giving access to other accounts uh, if you reuse uh, your credentials is possible, but hopefully you have unique passwords and usernames for all these accounts so that and, and kept those in a password manager that the criminal hasn't had access to. So that will not be possible. Here's the next line. If you don't want me to do it, then transfer $1,000 to my Bitcoin wallet. My Bitcoin wallet address is BC11. It's a, it's a series of 26 letters and numbers is how the Bitcoin works. I give you 48 hours to transfer the money. Otherwise, I will perform the above. The timer started automatically as soon as you open the email. And I am also automatically notified when this email is open. Now, that is technically true. Um, if you opened up the email and then took action such as like downloading images in it, there could be an image in there, which is what we call an in information security as a beacon pixel, uh, which will then communicate from your browser to the malicious server. And that would inform the criminal that you have read the email. Um, and so that would, uh, you know, then the criminal could say at that point, I'll start this 48 hour clock. So that I guess technically could be possible. Here's the next line. If you do not know how to transfer money and what Bitcoin is type buy Bitcoin into Google. So here the criminal is trying to provide a little bit of customer support and that most people don't know how, what Bitcoin is, or how to buy it, or how to transfer it and so forth. So they're, they're trying to give some instructions there. As soon as I receive a transfer of the required amount, the system will automatically inform me about the received payment and offer to delete from my servers all the data I receive from you. And therefore, I will confirm the deletion. So here we go. The criminal's now asking for you to trust them. And even though they've maliciously attacked you and taken your data, they promise, cross their heart and little pinky swear, that they will delete any of the data they've taken from you and not resell it and not further extort you. So there's a, a big bridge to cross there, whether you trust the criminal or not. Uh, here's the next line. Do not try to complain anywhere. As a purse or Bitcoin wallet does not track, mail from where the letter came from is not tracked and created automatically. So there's no point in writing to me. Again, a lot of broken English here and uh, grammar uh, issues here. So perhaps English isn't the first language of this uh, criminal. 
If you try to share this email with anyone, the system will automatically send a request to the servers and they will proceed to upload all the data to social networks. So um, this is very technically tough. Unless the criminal is sitting in your email account or monitoring the sent items, I'm not sure how they would know that you've shared this email with anyone. Also, changing passwords in social networks mail device will not help you because all data is already downloaded to the clusters of my server. Um, so that, that could be true that they've taken all your data. And so changing your passwords at that point won't help, but they will help further perpetuate and get the criminal out of your accounts by changing, um, you know, the passwords to all your accounts. Uh, again, this is all fake, so that probably won't help anything. Um, but, um, good advice on part of the criminal saying, don't take any actions to prevent this, um, which is, um, definitely in the criminal's interest. And the final line, good luck and don't do anything stupid. So. A good uh, good sextortion example there. Last year, I responded to a particularly intense sextortion incident at Lansing Community College. The criminals created pornographic image videos and an elaborate storyline uh, with the victim's personal details, which the criminal pulled from Facebook and LinkedIn and Lansing Community College web pages. The criminals also visited a website like whitepages.com, where the victims, well, and everyone's personal data, such as phone numbers and addresses and relationships, ages, emails, criminal records, financial info, so forth, it's all displayed on these websites like whitepages.com. The criminals used free texting services and even coordinated a robocall service to contact the victim and his coworkers and his spouse and, you know, all of her coworkers. So the more the criminal can contact and embarrass, it, it would definitely be leverage on the reputation of the victim uh, to try and get them to pay. The attackers set up fake LinkedIn accounts and connected to the victim's LinkedIn contacts to continue the spread of fake pornographic images and attack, you know, the victim's professional reputation. The criminals used free anonymous email accounts to send threatening emails around the clock to over 130 of the victim's coworkers. The LCC uh, Information Security Office, which I uh, head up, we coordinated the incident response for this uh, with three different police departments in the FBI. Now, this could happen to anyone, and there is little we can do to stop it. We can block the email address, but the criminals can just create another one and continue their attacks. Anyone can create as many free email accounts as they want at you know Gmail or Hotmail or Outlook and so forth without identification. So if you get a sextortion email, I recommend the following. First, don't click on anything such as links or attachments or images or download those or images or if they provide an encrypted attachment with the password in the email, don't enter it into the into the attachment because that would that could trigger further uh, malware. Second, don't reply or engage with the sender. Third, report the email to your company's or your internet providers, your internet service providers help desk uh, for incident response. File a police report with your local police department. Suspend your social networking accounts. You know, change your passwords on um, accounts as a precaution. Conduct antivirus scans on all your devices. You know, such as your phone and your personal and your work computers. Um, enable two-factor authentication on any account where it is available. So when you go to change those passwords, check to see if two-factor authentication is possible and set that up. And particularly, this is important if you, you, you reuse passwords. Definitely, you need unique passwords on all your accounts. And, and finally, maybe consider alerting your coworkers and family and friends of the attack. You know, get this step ahead of the criminal before the criminal starts contacting your coworkers and family and friends. Okay, well... 
That's a wrap of today's Safety Plan episode. If you have any questions or have been a victim of CyberScam, tell me about it by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu. Or you can find more info and past episodes of the Safety Plan on the internet at lcc.edu connect. This episode of the Safety Plan was recorded by Paul Schwartz in the TLC Tower in downtown Lansing Community College and produced by Lane Ingram and engineered by Big D Dedalian. I'm Paul Schwartz, and this is LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. So long. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.